the career you should pursue. But we know financial autonomy is but the dream of a foolish, foolish child. Ask yourself a different question. If your story was denied, how would you spend the rest of eternity? This will be your career. Is it stuck behind a desk? Is it standing all day at a counter? Is it listening to Craig in sales chew over your headphones because 12 months into this and he still doesn't know how to fucking mute? <laughs> all labor is ruin. The story must be told. The story must be told. The story can look through your dungarees and see the heart thump, thumping inside. The story knows how you betray the story. Family, hobbies, but nothing robs one of the story like employment. Yuck, patooey. That's why you gotta get out of there. Now, tell your boss, suck it, Chester. Tell your CEO, stick it in your b-hole, chunk stink. Abandon all labor. Take off your blouse, slick off your socks, Sit on the ground and stew. <clears throat> Brother Reed? The psalm today is very near to my heart because I wrote it on my chest with a marker. <clears throat> Pigs aren't real, but bacon is. Rump roast and pork chops and ham. Butchers don't know, nor the slaughterhouse. None of them give a damn. There are pig styes and, yes, pig trucks to transport the oinking lot. But it's people we hire to fill those trucks. It's a living until it's not. No degree required benefits a 401k, and so the needy man applies. He doesn't mind as he's stripped nude and tagged. Most jobs dehumanize. No bosses, no emails. No meetings, just mud. Forty hours a week, plus overtime. The man frolics all day, eats and eats till he's dead. There are worse ways to make a dime. Yes, I've heard those words before, but they're truer now. That's how truth works. It stews and intensifies like a thick pickle. The story we tell today will stew in all of us. And whenever it pickles, oh, give it a crunch. Pastor Andrew? This story is titled, Goodbye Pork Pie Hats, by a neighborhood pharmacist. The very Italian club manager sitting across from Arthur tallied receipts and scribbled in a ledger without looking up. His tie was pinned to his shirts with a pearl. Arthur rubbed the sweat off his hands onto his pants. Saliva trickled from the corner of the manager's mouth. He wiped it away with the back of his hands. The walls were red, 
The tablecloths were red, and the seat backs were red. Fifteen or so tables were spaced too closely together, each with a flickering tea candle and short, glass-braided cups. The room was so dim, Arthur would have felt sleepy if it weren't for his nerves. The Italian shut the ledger and slipped his pen into his breast pocket. He finally faced Arthur. There's no point in paying you tonight. He spoke without inflection, like he was ordering at a diner. That's fine, I just want to play, Arthur said. He looked over his shoulder at the stage. A baby grand piano shined under the red lights, taking up half the stage next to a worn-down drum set. His heart pounded in his throat. Hey, I'm talking to you, the manager said. Arthur snapped back to face him. He relaxed his shoulders and folded his hands on the tablecloth. The Italian stared at him and let an intentional silence hang between them. When the quiet became unbearable, Arthur opened his mouth to speak, but was cut off. Where are you from? Buffalo. Jesus Christ, my condolences! The Italian slapped his hand on the table and laughed too hard. Arthur smiled. It's not so bad. You got your job lined up for tomorrow? He asked, his drool puddled in the corner of his mouth. Oh, no, replied Arthur. Just got here today. The manager crossed his arms and shook his head with controlled disbelief. How exactly did you get in today? Train. Alice let me keep my suitcase behind the bar. She's nice. I got a little money, so I'm taking a minute to settle in. The Italian bit his lower lip. Jesus Christ, kid, you need a job like yesterday. He squinted his eyes. I'm good enough to get work, Arthur said, smiling with his upper lip. He crossed his legs and clasped his hands in his lap, overselling his confidence. No, not like that. The Italian stared at him. He twisted his mouth like he was about to ask a serious question, but let the expression fall. Arthur raised an eyebrow. The manager finally pushed his chair back, got up, and pushed it back in. He buttoned his jacket and patted his pockets casually. Look, kid, I... Uh... He paused and wiped the saliva from the corner of his mouth. I'll find you after the show. I won't let you down, said Arthur, standing up. He held out his hand for a shake. The Italian shook his head and walked away. Arthur lit a cigarette. He reached over a dozen empty, celebratory post-show beer bottles and dropped the spent match into the ashtray. He shook the pack towards the bassist, who had introduced himself as Scott. Scott waved the offer away and leaned back. The club had emptied out. Where do you learn to play? Scott asked. My parents' living room. Arthur exhaled. Scott laughed. <laughs> I meant, where do you study? Cleveland Hill High School, Arthur said. Wow, goddamn. You live close? Scott took a swig of beer and put his elbows on the table. I don't live anywhere yet. I came in from Buffalo this afternoon. Scott's eyes bulged and he leaned forward. Buffalo to New York is a long way to go for one night. You might want to cool it on the drinks and hit the road if you're going to get out in time, said Scott. I'm here for good. Tomorrow I think I'll see the city then try to get up again. Do you got to pay for open sessions? Arthur asked. Scott wrinkled his head. There won't be any sessions tomorrow night, he paused. You're really going to stay in the city? Scott was interrupted when the drummer pulled out a chair from the table with his foot. He had a beer bottle in each hand and held another with his forearm against his chest. 
Woo, great job tonight, fellas. Cheers to the new guy. May we meet again, he shouted, handing out the drinks. He sat down and ran his fingers through his slicked hair, then wiped the sweat off his forehead. He clenched his teeth and bounced his leg frantically. Hey, Max, it's Art's first night in town, and he's not leaving. He, uh, doesn't have a job lined up, said Scott, with equal parts incredulity and concern. <laughs> You're crazy, said Max to Arthur, taking a swig. I'm not worried. Arthur's cheeks burned. If you say so, said Max. Max, I, I think we should. Zip it! Max interrupted. He waved his finger above his head like someone might be listening. Max, come on. Help me talk some sense into this guy. Scott pleaded. <laughs> I'll send a postcard from L.A. as soon as I land. I want to be caught dead here tomorrow. Caught the last flight, 6.50 a.m., baby. Right under the wire. He lit a cigarette. Are you really going to stay? Scott asked Arthur. Hey, golden boy, come here. The manager called out from the back of the room, beckoning Arthur with his finger. Arthur excused himself. Max took a small chrome case from his pocket, opened it, took out a pink pill, and swallowed it with a sip of beer. He rattled the case towards Scott and Arthur. They both waved it away. He put the case back in his pocket and bounced his leg. It's so fucking hot in here. The walls in the manager's office were sticky with nicotine. A pinup girl calendar hung crooked on the wall behind the manager, open to November 1960, a full three months ago. Look, kid, I was crystal clear I couldn't pay you. Let, let's agree to that, said the manager. He had his elbows on his desk and rested his chin on his fist before slumping his shoulders and putting his face in his hands. He rubbed his forehead and looked back at Arthur, shaking his head. That's fine. Let's call it an audition, Arthur said. The manager stared at Arthur for a long time. Man, you just don't... The Italian caught himself, and his eyes darted around the room. He pulled open his desk drawer, took out a set of keys, and closed it. The silver one is for the front door. The brass one is for the apartment. It's my cousin's place. He ran out of work, so he split. I'll put you up for free. But you didn't get these from me. Arthur gasped. Sir, wow. Oh, gee, th th that's... I've never extended a kindness such as this, the Italian said, stopping Arthur. I don't know nothing about this either, okay? He held up his finger like he had more to say, but lowered his hand and pushed himself up from his desk. 35 Bethuny Street, apartment 4L. It's a quick walk. When you leave, go right on 7th and keep turning right. The manager put the keys in Arthur's hand. Thank you again. Really, I, I don't know how I could. The manager put his hand on Arthur's back and led him to the door. See you soon? Arthur asked. Jesus, kid. The manager closed the door. The lock caught with a metallic. A cot was pushed against a dirty, peeling, off-white wall. A wool blanket was crumpled underneath on the unfinished, uneven hardwood floor. Deteriorating millwork lined the walls at the ceiling. The room stank. At least the windows weren't broken. Arthur set his suitcase on the floor next to a record player with a cut, frayed cord. Arthur walked into a small adjacent room that led to the kitchen. A radiator wheezed against the wall. He flipped the light switch, but no light came on. 
He crept into the mousetrap galley kitchen, complete with a bathtub. A toilet without a top lid sat uneven on the cracked tile floor, two feet away from the sink. The light switch didn't work in the kitchen either. It felt like an assassin's den. Arthur walked to the window. A black Lincoln town car idled down the street. Exhaust burped into the frozen air. Down the block was a taxi facing the town car. The Lincoln's door opened, and a man wearing a fedora and trench coat slunk out of the car holding a suitcase. He waved with his free hand. The taxi flicked its lights and pulled up. The man looked both ways, took off his hat, and threw it down the street like a frisbee. He jumped in the cab and slammed the door. It screeched into a U-turn and screamed the wrong way up the street. Arthur shifted his weight from foot to foot on the curb, smoking to pass the time as he waited for the corner diner to open. The morning sky was a colorless steel blanket that felt only feet above the buildings. The streets were empty, like the entire city had slept in. Two police motorcycles crept down Hudson Street with their lights on but sirens off, leading a motorcade of city buses about 15 deep. The buses came one after the other with only feet between them. They were packed with people in professional dress, shoulder to shoulder, fogging the windows. Two police motorcycles tailed the convoy as it made its way downtown. This was the third motorcade to drive past since Arthur had been waiting. They came by every 15 minutes on the dot. Arthur flicked his cigarette into the street and walked back to the diner. He cupped his hands and pressed his face against the glass door. The restaurant was completely empty from back to front. He leaned against the door and it creaked open. Arthur stepped in as a man cried out from the street. Sir, uh, stop right there. Don't move. Please. His voice fluttered without authority. Arthur froze in place, heart pumping. Hands up, hands up. Okay, uh, uh, turn, turn around slowly if you can. Arthur inched around with his arms in the air. Fifteen feet away, a man in a khaki coat held up a badge. He was five feet tall with close-cropped blonde hair and a boyish face. Neither did he appear remotely official. Arthur lowered his arms. The badge shook in the tiny man's hand. Why the heck aren't you at work? I'll call the police! Every inch of the man trembled as he approached Arthur. I'm on the market, Arthur replied. The man slowly let his arm fall and slipped his badge into his coat pocket. For what exactly? The man asked, squinting his eyes. I play piano, Arthur said. The short man flinched and looked all around him like they were under fire. He put his hands on Arthur's back and rushed them into the empty diner. He pulled Arthur by the sleeve to the back of the restaurant out of view from the street. The man fumed and didn't look like a boy anymore. Arthur struggled. Hey, get your hands, Arthur threatened, but the man stopped him with a hard slap to the face that echoed throughout the restaurant. Arthur's vision flashed white and his ears rang. The small man pulled Arthur down by the collar. Are you fucking insane? He whisper shouted, accenting every syllable. The man pulled him closer. Did you just crawl out from under a rock? Hey, I, I live a few buildings. Well, I'm staying. A, fr- a friend put me... Hey, okay. I got in yesterday on the train from... The man took a step back and put his hand over his mouth. 
Get in from where? He whispered. Western New York, Arthur said. The man bent over and put his hands on his knees, breathing heavily. He looked up at Arthur. Why would they let you in? Old train? Arthur thought. No, well, yes, I was... I was the only one in the dining car when we arrived, but it was the last stop, and everyone... I I didn't really... It doesn't matter. The man scurried to the front windows of the restaurant and checked the street. What the hell's gotten into you? Barked Arthur. The man rubbed his forehead and squeezed his eyes shut. New York City went to work today. He spoke so deliberately that Arthur's stomach twisted. Okay, said Arthur. I work in a bookstore, so I'm not critical. I put my name in a lottery and got street patrol. First time I ever won anything. He paced around, talking to himself. Jesus Christ, I'm going to be sent back to my apartment. I should have... Fuck! Fuck! Fuck me! Fuck! Uh, Wait, I thought you worked in a bookstore, asked Arthur. The man threw his hands in the air. His face was nearly purple. Worked! Yes, I worked in a bookstore yesterday, just like the waitresses and cooks worked in this diner yesterday, or piano players worked playing where, where, wherever. Office workers get to go to offices, then right back home. Even the hospitals are closed, but none of us thought they'd actually follow through. We we couldn't talk about it, and and, and, and everyone else was either assigned like me or, or they... He trailed off. Arthur's throat closed. The man continued pacing. This didn't... Okay, think, think! Okay, okay, so... So you just got here? Yes. You got no name to an address? That's good. Good. Um, okay, okay, no. Yes, yes, that's good because, uh, okay, okay. They don't know. They won't know. Okay, okay. Okay, okay. The man pulled a small notebook and a pen out of his pocket. He ripped the cap off with his teeth and then scribbled on a page. He tore the page out, folded it, and handed it to Arthur. The man put the wet pen cap back in place and shoved it in his pocket. Tomorrow, before 6.30 a.m., you call this number, okay? Give them your address, then hang up. That's it. Don't give anyone your name. You got it? (laughs) Yeah, okay, Arthur said. The short man pulled Arthur down by the collar. You tell anyone you saw me or saw anyone who looked like me or tell anyone you got this number from, 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 from someone who looks like me, you're dead, okay? Dead. Lots of people need that number to stay a secret, to fucking survive. The man let Arthur go. He straightened his jacket and exhaled. So long, he said, and headed for the door. Wait, Jesus Christ, hold on. Arthur went after him. The man stopped and turned. What, so someone's gonna arrest me? They can't kill me, what can they possibly do? The man paused and shook his head slowly. We don't know yet. Arthur twisted his face. How long is this gonna go on? Arthur asked. The short man opened the door. Stay put until it's dark. He closed the door behind him and didn't look back. Blue and red lights reflected off the windows as another motorcade went down Hudson.
Arthur walked in small circles. The floorboards creaked with every other step. Three quick, quiet knocks rapped on the apartment door. Arthur clenched his fists, calmed himself, and opened it. A tremendously tall, skinny man in overalls stood before him, his head nearly inches from the ceiling. He held a clipboard in his massive hands and tapped it against his chest. Who gave you the number? He asked in a subterranean baritone. Nobody, Arthur replied. Good, said the man. He motioned down the hallway. A set of identical twins with cauliflower ears squeezed into the apartment, carrying a gigantic stack of flattened cardboard boxes. One threw his shoulder into Arthur's chest to get him out of the way. They set down the stack with a and went out the door. They came back with an equally big stack. Thick threads of metal held the cardboard together. The tall man handed Arthur a roll of tape and a box cutter. We need these boxes unfolded and stacked. We'll be back tomorrow morning to pick them up. If you got all of them done, all of them done, you got food at the end of the week. Got it? Arthur stared up at him. Sure. Careful with the blade. Okay. We'll be here at the same time on the dot. I'd get busy if I were you, the man said. He reached into Arthur's apartment, grabbed the doorknob, and shut the door. Arthur listened as their footsteps went down the stairs. He looked at the boxes. There were easily over 100 in each bundle. He approached the closest stack and pulled at the metal thread. It didn't budge. He pulled harder and slit the skin between his thumb and forefinger. He clenched his teeth so hard his molars felt like they'd crack. He sucked on the wound. It was deep enough that the tip of his tongue fits into the cut. Arthur stumbled to his suitcase, leaving a trail of blood on the floor. He took out a sock. He wrapped it tight around his hand and counted his breath until the worst of the pain subsided. Once his heart stopped pounding, he picked up the box cutter and sawed open the metal twine of the closest stack. The boxes wheezed apart like an accordion. The stack got taller when the pressure was released. Arthur grabbed half the pile and set it on the floor. He started putting the boxes together, wincing against the pain. Arthur snapped awake to three raps on the front door. Dull morning light came in through the windows. He had fallen asleep sitting cross-legged and gritted his teeth as he pulled his legs apart. He leaned back to support his weight with his right hand. Pain screamed from his fingers up to his shoulder. Three knocks rapped again, a little louder. Boxes were stacked all around him. He squeezed through them, tumbling a few of the towers over. He finally opened the door with his good hand. The giant man stood in front of him and peered into the apartment. A few dozen flattened boxes remained against the wall. You didn't finish? He scowled. Jesus, there wasn't enough time. We've got deadlines, he said deliberately. Everyone is fucked if they're not done. Got it? Sure, said Arthur. The man reached down and squeezed Arthur between the neck and the shoulder, hitting a pressure point. Got it? Yeah. Yes, yes, I, I got it. The man let go. You looked out this time. We need those taken apart and flattened. But I, I just... The man poked Arthur in the sternum with a giant finger, knocking the wind out of him. We need them flattened. Get busy. 
Same time tomorrow. The man turns and walked back down the stairs. The process repeated every day. Some mornings, the twins would take the finished boxes away. Other mornings, Arthur was ordered to take them back apart. His workday started when the sun came through the clouds, and his workdays ended when the sun came back through the clouds the next morning. As the week went on, his head throbbed with hunger and his belly felt like it was expanding. His hand throbbed as he put together or took apart every box. Red streaks went up his pointer finger and down to his thumbnail. At the end of the week, the twins took out all the stacked boxes and brought in another pallet of flattened ones. Before the tall man left, he gave Arthur half a loaf of Wonder Bread. Arthur's heart sank and his head spun with panic. That's it? The tall man nodded. Make it last, he said without emotion. He walked down the hall and back down the stairs. Arthur lost track of the days and weeks. Maybe it had been a month or longer. The weather didn't change and the sun didn't come out. It was like the natural world had been beaten down by work as well. Some days his apartment was wall to wall with finished boxes. Other days, flattened boxes stacked up to the ceiling. Arthur's hand refused to heal. Throughout the day, he'd squeeze pus out of the cut onto the floor. When he was too exhausted to work, he'd lay on his back and stare at the ceiling while running his left hand over his side, counting his ribs up and back down. 11, 12, 11, 10, 9, Arthur stood over the sink, running water over his stinking purple hands. It was so swollen it had become immobile. A hot metallic smell filled the apartment as a baking sheet glowed red hot on the stove next to him. Arthur took the box cutter and started sawing. Blood, pus, and water swirled down the drain as he cut through tendons, detaching his hand from his wrist. It hurt, but he continued as if under a spell. When the hand finally splashed into the sink, he pushed his stump down on the searing pan. He retched at the smell of burning flesh as he cauterized the wound. He pushed harder until he couldn't take it anymore. He beheld his gruesome work and passed out. Arthur sat with his legs crossed, holding his stump up with his left arm against his chest. His wool blanket hung over his shoulders, scratching him on the back of the neck. He shivered. Towers of flattened and put-together boxes surrounded him. He shut his eyes and tried to play music in his head, but his head was empty, like a radio stuck between stations. Arthur counted time signatures in his head. One and two and three and four and one and two and... He could not summon any melody. One triplet, two triplet, three triplet. One triplet, two triplet. Music began playing in the room. Strings playing too high and out of tune. Arthur opened his eyes and slowly forced himself to stand. The music played louder and louder, distorted. Bursts of horns blew through the boxes and then would go silent, then skip and restart like a scratched record. He kicked over stacks of boxes, sending them flying, searching to find where the music was coming from. It got louder as he got closer, louder and louder, screaming, skipping. He 
he finally found the source. The record player with the frayed cord shrieked music. No record was spinning, nor was the record player plugged into any outlet. Horns blasted at uneven intervals. Arthur had to get out of the room. He pushed over boxes to get out the door. He had to get out of the room. A stack of Flatten's boxes leaned against the front door. He had to get out. Arthur kicked the boxes away. He could not stay. Arthur reached for the door handle. He hit it with his stump, shooting pain up his shoulder and down his legs. The sensation left him very tired. Arthur slumped to the floor and counted. One E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a, one E and a, two E and a, three E and a. The record player blared static. Three knocks rapped on the door. Three more knocks rapped on the door. The tall man's heavy footsteps went back down the stairwell. Arthur staggered through the woods. It was snowing. Wolves trailed him, biting at his heels. A polar bear trailed behind the wolves to keep them moving forward. When Arthur couldn't go any farther, he fell face first into the snow and was surrounded. Arthur slowly opened his eyes as a tenor sax quietly echoed around him. His cheek was cold against the tile floor of the tunnel that led to Bethesda Fountain in Central Park. He was wearing a coat, but no shirt, and pants, but no shoes. He didn't know how he got there, and he didn't care. A man played goodbye pork pie hat on his saxophone, standing on the steps that led down to the tunnel. Arthur forced himself to sit up and leaned against the tile. He felt his left hand comping along with the bass notes. His phantom right hand called and responded to the melody. The music swirled around his head and behind his eyes before his vision went bright white then slowly faded into darkness. An escorted motorcade of city buses crawled down Central Park West, headed downtown. The story must be told. do this. Um, earlier in the episode, we told everyone to quit their jobs and sit on the floor. I think we might have also said to take off your socks? Uh, you can keep those on. That wasn't the problem. Um, it turns out, well, you know how we're always asking for your hot, sticky cheddar? I'm talking five dollars, talking a hundred dollars, talking five, twenty-two dollars. But it turns out, and this caught us completely off guard, that a lot of people get their cheddar exclusively from employment. It's really something. It sounds like, and this is just what I'm gathering, that a lot of people work solely for the money part of it, and their hearts are empty, empty, empty. In this case, by all means, stay at your job. Don't ever leave it. Because whatever leaves you open to the story, is a story itself. <laughs> and that story will never end. Never. Ever.
That was The Story Must Be Told, and I made an MRI machine that shows you the naughty parts of your brain. We're happily hosted on the Last Podcast Network, lastpodcastnetwork.com. Ooh, see that area of your brain lighting up? That's the part that makes you write curse words on the bus. Do you want more 522 Club? Then hop over to our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash TSMBT. <laughs> That's the part of your brain that makes you cheat on your taxes, Charlie. Check us out on social media, Twitter, and Instagram at TSMBTPod. Oh, over there, that's the part of your brain that says, ooh, maybe you shouldn't wash your hands after you potty. Yuck, 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 yuck. We'll see you in two weeks. That's the part of your brain that thinks, how hard could robbing a bank be? (laughs) We'll be hitting out in no time. No funny stuff. And if anyone tries to be a hero... Oh, God. What have I done? wasn't supposed to be like this. Everyone stand back! Um, I was a coward when I came out of the womb, and I'm gonna be a coward when I head back in. Uh, Adam, I gotta take that line again, the whole fucking sentence! (laughs) The story must be told. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.